TLC. It's a guilty pleasure for many, where people can binge watch reality TV programs and think to themselves, at least I'm not addicted to eating XYZ. But did you know that TLC was once a learning channel founded by the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare along with NASA? Seriously, how did we take something so educational to, well, exploiting kids, promoting conversion therapy, and faking talking to dead people? Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Corporate Casket. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're gonna be discussing TLC and one of the biggest accusations hurled at them, exploiting their stars. The channel has gone through a bit of a year of reckoning, as Jezebel puts it, especially after the fallout with the Duggars. While the network said they were saddened to learn about the allegations around Josh, they still kept the family on their payroll to some extent. You might not be able to get 19 kids and counting on Discover Plus or Amazon, but you can still buy them on YouTube, Google Play, and Vudu. If they truly wanted to erase this program from the internet, they certainly could have, but it just seems that TLC isn't willing to let go of their past and these profits just yet. Jezebel calls their public displays of redemption futile. Media critic and author of the 2010 book on the ethics of reality TV, Jennifer Poser, compares TLC to a restaurant that shuts down after failing health inspections. You can't bring that restaurant back with the same owners, the same chefs, the same menu, and the same back-end supplies in the kitchen, thinking you're going to get different dishes in the front of the house. We're just going to give you new laminated menus that are shinier. In other words, if TLC actually wanted to change things, then they could, but they don't. They have a recipe for disaster, but they're just changing the look of the menu. In the same way that circuses used to put on freak shows in the 1800s, TLC has seemingly captured the same sense of dehumanizing voyeurism in the modern day. So let's go ahead and take a look at how TLC created this recipe for disaster. Way back when, the network that became TLC was meant to be for the public's good. The Appalachian region needed a boost in educational services and the governors of Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky, Maryland, and numerous other states in this area all banded together to form the Appalachian Regional Commission. This also happened to come at a time when NASA wanted to expand its tech for public good too. So why not group together? Back in 1972, the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, as well as NASA, founded what was meant to be an informative and instructional network, according to Business Insider. At this time, it was known as the Appalachian Community Service Network, or ACSN. Soon, NASA used their ATS-6 satellite to expand upon the idea. The project, the Appalachian Educational Satellite Project, or AESP, wasn't just a fantastic educational tool, but teachers could even watch their courses and receive credit for them. A report sent to the National Institute of Education read, what was most especially apparent was that the project filled a community need not otherwise easily met, particularly in remote areas. AESP was in demand, useful and helping the public. The origins of TLC are truly wholesome despite its current status. Thousands of people took these courses, learning EMT training and business management, but it didn't last. NASA had technical difficulties with the ATS-6 and said they couldn't broadcast for an entire year. Instead of replace the satellite, it was decided that the Appalachian Regional Commission would purchase transponder time on a commercial satellite instead. Of course, to be able to afford these transmission times, things had to change. And obviously they needed some sort of revenue. So instead of just courses, they expanded to informational content. Their objective remained the same though, and it was to help educate the public. The ACSN became known as the Learning Channel at this point in the 1980s and boasted that at the time they, quote, 
remain the only programming network with a full-time commitment to the delivery of educational, instructional, and informational programs for adult viewers and learners. And that was certainly something to brag about, as well as their growth. Dozens of universities, 70 to be exact, still granted academic credit for these ACSN courses. However, they still needed to generate revenues to buy these time slots. They had plans for it, like charging cable fees and syndicating, but it just wasn't enough. By 1986, things truly changed for good when they were bought up by Infotechnology. For the next five years, Infotechnology still aired educational shows. The network had documentaries on nature and history, but that too would start to change. Infotech declared bankruptcy and Discovery Communications bought up a majority stake of the company, as well as a stake in ACSN. In 1991, Discovery officially had full control and any semblance of the original vision for the channel had all but disappeared. Formal educational courseware was out and reality shows were in. TLC did briefly have an educational program called Ready, Set, Learn in 1992, as well as a documentary series on dinosaurs. The original network didn't disappear overnight. However, by the mid nineties, the shows that earned them more money were Medical Detectives or Trauma, Life in the ER. A few more years later, and the older shows started to move on to other Discovery channels, making way for Wedding Story or Baby Story. They seemed to find their niche when What Not to Wear, Trading Spaces, and Junkyard Wars were introduced, but when family-centered shows began, TLC really seemed to hit their stride. Things only became more outrageous as they went from building machines out of scrap metal in Junkyard Wars and Cake Boss to things like My Strange Addiction or Hoarding Buried Alive and Honey Boo Boo. So now that we've mentioned exploitation, let's get into what that word really means and to some extent, what it looks like on TLC. Please note that for this next chapter, we will be briefly mentioning molestation, though not in graphic detail. Now, to be abundantly clear here, I do think you can document something without exploiting it. We've spoken about toddlers and tiaras before, and I have an entire episode dedicated to just that show. Personally, I do believe that programs can often cross the line into exploiting children. However, if someone films a dance community and creates a documentary on it to raise awareness and bring in mental health professionals to explain why the environment may be unhealthy, I wouldn't consider that exploitation. The line can be fuzzy at times about whether a program's intent is to educate or entertain. And since I can't speak to these producers' intentions, I can only go based on what I see and how the information is presented. At TLC, I think it's safe to say that intent is not education, but entertainment. Now, since I've already spoken about toddlers and tiaras and dance moms, I wanna focus on TLC's exploitation of kids by talking about one child in particular, Honey Boo Boo. I'm Alana, I'm six, and I'm a beauty queen. Those girls must be crazy if they think they're gonna be me, Honey Boo Boo child. We got candy, soda, chips, candy, and we can get whatever we wanted because we was on our own, not with mama. Hold on, you missing some stuff? For those of you who don't know, Honey Boo Boo or Alana Thompson was entered into beauty pageants when she was just six years old. She appeared on Toddlers and Tiaras in 2012, but caught the producer's eye and gained her own program. People have been hugely critical of Honey Boo Boo since her first appearance on television, implying her parents are parasites, essentially leeching from their daughter and telling others not to watch. Back in 2013, when TLC was launched in the UK, The Guardian said, Here Comes Honey Boo Boo was their flagship program that combined several of the channel's main obsessions, obesity, teen parenthood, large families, and child beauty pageants. Honey Boo Boo had it all, basically. Seven-year-old Alana was the star of the show, yet as The Guardian explained, it wasn't just about her. After all, as she ran around on sugar and caffeine eating tons of donuts, so were the people around her. 
The whole show, whether intentionally or not, seems to depict how Thompson's entire community lives. While the program might claim they want to tell a story, the cast, quote, is being presented not so much as a different class, but practically a different species altogether. Even the Today Show, which I definitely don't consider a super reputable source by any means, speculated if Honey Boo Boo crossed the line between entertainment to exploitation. An article on their website posed the question, is the audience laughing with the family as the group tucks into a dinner of roadkill or adds a pig to Alana's pageant routine, or are they laughing at them? Does it even matter? LA Times contributor said that plenty of people may be able to relate to the family, but others seem to watch it to enjoy feeling superior watching it to feel better about themselves and think, well, at least I'm not like them, in other words. But even if the family itself is fine with this and signed up for it, the star of the show, Alana herself, is too young to really understand what that means. Lisa Belkin from the Huffington Post said that Alana doesn't know what the future is with this being her reputation through life. So yeah, I think it's exploitative. I would like to see less bad parents on television as entertainment. It shouldn't be fun to watch. I'm not quite sure how we got here. But those who've met June, Alana's mother, said that she's not a bad mother. She's giving Alana everything she needs. Also in 2013, Business Insider reported that Mama June put her daughter's earnings into trust funds too, with June stating, "'I want my kids to look back and say, "'Mama played it smart, "'not like those other reality TV people.'" Each one of her five children got about $36,000 for each season of Honey Boo Boo. So even if you support the argument that June was a bad mother, she did seem to make wise decisions for her children's future at first. Then again, it doesn't seem like Alana was the only one being exploited here. June struggled with addiction and drug use in the following years, and TLC seemed all too willing to use it for views. They recently aired episodes called Mama June Road to Redemption, where Alana emotionally asked her mother why she wasn't there for her, and June admitted she spent $900,000 on drugs in a single year alone. So while she seemed financially responsible back in 2013, it became clear when she was arrested on suspicion of drug possession that things weren't as they appeared. Another really frustrating element to this is that TLC doesn't seem to take a hard stance against despicable crimes. For example, in 2014, Here Comes Honey Boo Boo was canceled when it was discovered that June was seeing a former boyfriend who had been convicted of child molestation and only recently released. One of June's daughters at the time, 20-year-old Anna, also came forward and said that she'd been a victim of his when she was only eight years old. TLC claims to be faithfully committed to kids' comfort and well-being, but I just don't see it. And neither do many critics. June had a nine-episode makeover called From Not to Hot on WeTV, but some say it was just an act that she was doing for damage control to fix her abysmal reputation. It seemed to work to some extent because back in late 2021, she was on television again when she and Honey Boo Boo both did The Masked Singer. And on the note of them caring about kids' comfort, the lawsuit about them breaking child labor laws also seems to contradict that. John, you can't walk away without Leah. Leah, come here, honey. You need to wake up and keep an no, eye on you everyone. Need to let go of their hands and stop it. We You're need being to annoying. Hold. Look at the poop on the floor, man. Oh my word. <laughs> <laughs> Whose was that? Nice. John Goslin was on the program John and Kate Plus Eight, which was one of TLC's first family programs, along with 19 Kids and Counting. John and Kate's marriage dissolved after infidelity accusations, and the show ended in 2010 after about three years on air. It later became Kate Plus Eight. Now, after the divorce, TLC sued John for appearing on rival networks and making unauthorized public disclosures about the program. John countersued, claiming that TLC violated child labor laws while filming their programs. The litigation ended and a settlement was reached, but this sparked a lot of conversation about how networks treat kids. 
The LA Times said that the same year they found out about a dozen of kids were appearing on reality TV programs without legal safeguards. Quote, in its examination of some of the most visible series featuring children under 16, the Times found that a majority had not obtained work permits to employ minors, including TLC's 19 Kids and Counting. The confusion over what laws apply to reality TV befits a genre that occupies a gray zone. In other words, because these kids weren't paid actors, but more so the subject of a docu-style program, TLC and other programs like them can legally be in the clear to make this content without obeying child labor laws. The LA Times argues that advocates for more regulation in this area say reality shows are often staged. Paul Peterson is the president of A Minor Consideration, a group lobbying to overhaul child labor laws. And he says that the great fiction is to pretend that these children are not performers. While the Duggars have said the cameras are simply observing their daily lives, parents can be seduced by the industry to put their children into harm's way or overwork them too. Without enough protection, it almost seems bound to happen. And TLC isn't the only program that does this, unfortunately, but they're almost certainly benefiting from this gray area all the same. Yet while Honey Boo Boo's time on TLC has been a glowing example of exploitation on their channel, it's far from the only one either. TLC has also been accused of exploiting those with mental health issues. Another one of their more well-known programs is called My 600 Pound Life, which shows the daily struggles of people that weigh about 600 pounds or more, as the title suggests. The people in this program typically go to see Dr. Now for gastric bypass surgery, and Dr. Now has become the medical expert in this particular program. Yet not everyone is so fond of his mindset, especially after he made a tasteless joke related to pandemic weight gain. The meme Dr. Now created for his Instagram read, so you're telling me that everyone gained weight during the pandemic, huh? So basically an eating disorder spread faster than a virus? Plenty of people gained weight during the pandemic. Stress, being quarantined, unable to go to the gym, there's multiple factors to it. Needless to say, many criticize the TLC doctor for making light of eating disorders. But it gets far worse than just the doctor making an insensitive remark. The list writes how former star Nicole Lewis alleged she was embarrassed when TLC insisted on filming her showering for the program. Nicole was too big to fit in a conventional shower. And while these scenes might demonstrate that, they do seem like it's a bit humiliating. Nicole claimed that the scene was required if she wanted to be a part of the process and have her weight loss surgery covered. The excess skin removal surgery, by the way, is not covered. And sure enough, the complaints from former contestants go far deeper than not covering excess skin surgeries. Please be aware that for the rest of this chapter, we will discuss suicide and the rest of the episode will mention sexual assault at various points. If you're not in any place to hear that, please feel free to skip ahead or click away entirely. Now, according to Destiny Lachey, the first transgender member of the show, she was pressured to shave her beard and only given a single therapy session from the TLC producers, despite them telling her she was suffering from gender dysphoria and needed help. Another participant, LB Bonner, committed suicide after his experience on the program. His family had similar complaints, stating that TLC failed to provide him with mental health services and forced him to film. My 600 pound life also seems to fail to actually bring a sense of sympathy and humanity to their stars. At times, the stars have explained what started their overeating. Like when Ashley Reyes says she had been assaulted by her uncle when she was 12, leading to overeating in order to quote, gain back whatever little happiness I could. Kristen Perez says that she may have started her dieting habits to keep people away after she had been gang raped at 17 years old. Another star, Diana Bunch, had a similar experience when she was just 11. Anxiety, depression, eating disorders, and addiction, all of it play a role in this program. 
But by the sounds of things, My 600 Pound Life is another show that seems to play into the sense of superiority we talked about earlier. Viewers can watch it and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. And it fails to show that unhealthy addictions can happen to anyone. And it really fails, again, sympathy and humanity. It just makes them feel like they're circus monkeys performing. Personally, I think TLC fails to explore this nuance further because they're, you know, a reality program. They thrive off of the drama and sensationalism and shock value, as opposed to really exploring the in-depth reasoning behind any underlying mental health issues and previous trauma. If they truly wanted to help their stars, not just to exploit them for cash, they'd be offering more mental health services and more ways to actually help their stars. But it just appears that they don't do that. Even though this is discussing reality TV, we are talking about a network essentially ignoring the mental well-being of their stars that earn a lot more money while only being paid around $1,500 for the entire experience. They're basically just getting paid and getting the medical process done. Though some sources say they receive $2,500, either way, they're getting paid very little because the surgery is essentially considered their pay. Sometimes these 600 pound life stars also have extremely traumatic childhoods. Nicole Lewis said she began overeating when her parents became addicted to cocaine and her home no longer felt safe. Marla McCants, on the other hand, didn't start gaining weight until her 20s when she was held hostage at gunpoint after attempting to break up with her boyfriend. Food took her mind off of the trauma she experienced. Now, in later episodes, Dr. Now has been shown telling patients that they need to go to therapy, and I am grateful for that. Dr. Now is the resident doctor of the program, but Lola Clay has been the resident therapist, and Dr. Matthew Paradise has been the psychotherapist. The point that I wanna point out with presenting all of these other doctors is to show that TLC does seem to be featuring mental health professionals more and more, at least on this program. And that's a change and a good change. Recently, writers on platforms like Medium say they've been able to rethink their own eating habits because of it, as they're able to see mental health reasons behind these types of binge eating disorders. The past couple years, we have seen this change from TLC and I'll give credit where credit is due. I think it's an excellent and necessary change to include therapy in the program and help these stars' mental health. But for many, like Bonner's family, it's too little too late. My 600 Pound Life isn't the only program accused of minimizing or potentially ignoring mental health issues either. Hoarding Buried Alive also takes a look at people with extreme hoarding tendencies and frames these complicated issues like everything can be resolved in an hour show. Pajiba, a small political blog, says that TLC doesn't just exploit those with mental illness, but quote, celebrates dysfunction and rewards shitty parenting. They give the examples of My Strange Addiction, which showcases unusual and alarming behaviors like eating rocks, toilet paper, and cigarette ashes, as well as My Big American Gypsy Wedding, which infamously showed the first two cousins getting married because, quote, as one bridesmaid noted, our family believes in incest. The show also does little to accurately represent Romani culture, but stigmatizes them and perpetuates stereotypes instead. But to understand these stories and why people go on the show to begin with, who better to speak than someone who understands the process? Rachel Kramer Bussell wrote an article on Shondaland a couple years ago after she wrote an essay in 2011 about her problems with hoarding. TLC contacted her and asked her to participate in their hoarders program. The producer apparently told Rachel that, quote, we offer professional therapeutic help, the assistance of a professional organizer who has experience working with people who hoard, as well as we monetarily compensate people who participate. You will not be made to completely empty your apartment, but rather will help you work at your own pace. Rachel says they offered her $3,000, which I'll admit sounds fantastic initially. Being paid several thousand dollars to have someone else help you clean, like who would turn that down? 
Rachel was excited, but her therapist cautioned her, warning that people wouldn't look at her and see a professional respected writer. She'd be viewed as a hoarder. Rachel said she didn't care and wanted to show that hoarding is a mental health issue and even regular people can have it. Regular being in quotes, by the way. So why turn it down? By Rachel's own admission, it's a very mundane reason. She was too afraid to ask her landlord to sign a TV release form since Rachel lived in an apartment. Instead, she ended up hiring a removal service. While Rachel says that part of her wishes she'd gone on the show, she knew she'd surrender control of the narrative of her hoarding had she appeared on the program. Perhaps it wouldn't have been a bad decision, or maybe her therapist would have been right and those around Rachel would have treated her differently. Rachel doesn't seem to view the program as predatory, but Debbie Stanley, a licensed counselor who has worked with hoarding clients since 1997, calls both A&E's hoarders as well as the TLC's version exploitainment. Debbie says that some examples are worse than others, but the shows tend to reinforce the idea of hoarders as societal outsiders, calling TLC's process cruel and unethical. Unfortunately, there's far worse than accusations of exploitation circulating around TLC. Rather than just being observers of these situations, some have claimed that they actively create and enable truly upsetting content. And before we get into that to discuss it and unpack what I've just claimed, let's go ahead and take a quick break for today's sponsors. The summer is upon us. And for me, the summer means dolphin legs. But do you know what's not cute about having silky smooth dolphin legs? Having your legs completely cut up. And that's why I use Athena Club razors. They're surrounded by a water activated serum with shea butter and hyaluronic acid. So you can actually get a silky smooth shave that actually leaves skin soft and hydrated and not stripped dry or ripped apart. The razor kit is only $9 with free shipping FYI, and it comes with two blade cartridges, a magnetic hook for shower storage, and your choice of handle color. As you guys know, I've had the peach color, I've had the light blue color, and now I got my hands on the limited edition lilac color, which they do put out limited edition colors from time to time. It's so fun to have them. Now I have one in a travel bag and one in my bathroom. And you'll never have to worry about dull blades as well because you'll get sent refills on your schedule. You just choose how often you need fresh blades and Athena Club sends them automatically and again, with free shipping. So why deal with razor burn and wasteful disposable razors when you could be getting the best shave of your life with the Athena Club razor kit? You can get 20% off your first order at athenaclub.com with promo code casket. That's athenaclub.com with promo code casket for 20% off. This episode is also sponsored by ExpressVPN. Because here's the reality, have you ever browsed in incognito mode? Because it's probably not as incognito as you think. And why would it be? Chances are the browser you're using has probably made a fortune by tracking your movements online. And what do those big tech companies say when they're you know, out for collecting user data? Incognito does not mean invisible, that whole thing. So how do you actually make yourself invisible as possible? Well, you use ExpressVPN like I do. As it turns out, even if you use incognito mode, your online activity still gets tracked and data brokers will still be able to buy and sell your data, even the incognito mode data. One of these data points is your IP address and data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, your connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and your IP address is masked. So every time you connect to ExpressVPN, you get a random IP address shared by many other ExpressVPN customers. And that makes it harder for third parties to identify you or harvest your data. And best of all, ExpressVPN is really easy to use. No matter what device you're on, your phone, laptop, or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button for instant protection. 
I research a lot of crazy things to make these episodes. And sometimes I really don't like the things I have to type in. So using ExpressVPN really helps so that my ISP doesn't think that I'm some fucking weirdo. Cause Lord knows when having to look up all this stuff about Honey Boo Boo and everything, I was just deeply uncomfortable by how deep the rabbit hole goes, honestly. So I did not want that track to me. So if you really wanna go incognito and protect your privacy, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN. Visit expressvpn.com slash casket to get an extra three months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash casket. Go to expressvpn.com slash casket to learn more. Between Kate plus eight and 19 kids and counting, TLC has become known for profiting off large families. Flux argues that in doing so, TLC is complicit in presenting religious extremism as harmless. After all, when they show the Duggars as a big, loving, happy family, they're neglecting to show the harmful aspects of their beliefs. We've already talked about the Duggars in their own separate episode and even made an episode on the IBLP, which is the religious system they follow. But for those of you who do need a quick refresher or may not have seen either of those episodes, the founder of IBLP, Gothard, is believed to have sexually assaulted and groomed many young women that come through that church. His homeschooling curriculum teaches anyone that if they are raped and fail to cry out, then the crime is partially their fault. Does that mean that TLC condones these teachings by putting them on television? Well, not necessarily, but they didn't really make anyone aware of it either. In their programming, these large families are supposedly just giant, chaotic, family-friendly entertainment. A lot is left unsaid or ignored, and that's where the accusations of being complicit come in. At best, TLC is just blissfully unaware and neglecting to tell the full story of the family they're following. At worst, TLC is knowingly putting the Duggars on air regardless of disturbing teachings for profit. Though the most recent allegations surrounding Josh Duggar were even too much for them after his arrest and of course, subsequent conviction. Synthony Jubb, who appeared on TLC's Kids by the Dozen when she was 14, said that TLC was in fact so insistent on making these families out to be wholesome that they actually staged a reconciliation between their very strict Christian parents. Cynthia writes that her parents, to compensate for the show's strict depiction of their parenting, self-published a book about how important it is to love their children. Yet while they were writing one thing, Cynthia says that her parents were practicing something else. She calls their beliefs cult-like and says that they were part of the quiverful movement, which is in essence, something that dictates that Christians should have more children so they can be used to win the world for Christian conservative values. Essentially, Christians just want to outpopulate everyone else. And these beliefs are incredibly discriminatory. And again, for more details, see the episode on the IBLP. Of course, not all Christian families believe this by any means, but there is a noticeable pattern in how TLC continues to give airtime to those that do. Putting a big family on TV is one thing, but putting a big family who believes they're fighting a war against everyone else and having kids for the sheer reason of outpopulating others on TV is kind of another. Cynthia also alleged that her parents could be abusive and breaks from work were only given as a reward for good behavior. She was allegedly put to work at Focus on the Family when she was only 13 years old. And though she originally told TLC cameras how she absolutely loved her life, she claimed to realize just how isolated she was from the rest of the world. Now, while she claims that TLC puts these questionable values on display, there's even more infuriating examples of this. This next show was actually upsetting enough to catch the attention of more mainstream news outlets, such as The Atlantic, who called the program out for a profound lack of empathy. The series in question? My husband's not gay. Back in 2015, TLC aired this show, which follows Mormon men who feel same-sex attraction, but don't act on it because of their religion. 
One of the men's wives has a catchy slogan for this, SSA, not gay. In the program, they also promoted reparative therapy, AKA conversion therapy that attempts to turn people straight, even though that's not how that works and is extremely dangerous. These forms of reparative therapy are violence. Rolling Stone even says that using words like SSA in lieu of saying gay are considered ex-gay training 101. I can't possibly do justice to the topic of reparative and conversion therapy in the rest of this episode, but we have touched upon it before on the channel and it has consistently proven to be dangerous and harmful to those that experience it. The Atlantic said that their approach has succeeded due to TLC's consistent approach of self-righteous voyeurism. Their article added that, quote, the problem though with making reality television about gay men who don't want to be gay is that it will invariably lack empathy for the pain that likely defines those men's lives. However, despite Glad stating that the show was downright irresponsible, an article on The Guardian by Brian Moylan claims that the show is not worth the uproar. They compare these relationships to men who are bisexual, who are married and therefore can only sleep with their wives. Moylan even argued that these relationships are strangely attractive as they're more open with their spouses about their attractions. Maybe these Mormon men are gay, maybe bisexual. That's not up for me to say. While it's great that they're talking to their wives about that, I don't think it's at all similar to a bisexual married individual because these Mormons are told they don't have a choice, that they're not allowed to act on these desires or be anything other than straight. The way in which they present religious extremism as entertainment is definitely alarming. But there's one more question we have to ask here. Is any of it even real to begin with? As many of you know, reality TV isn't necessarily as real as TLC and other networks present. Teresa Caputo, also known as the Long Island Medium, has been called a damn good performer, but not necessarily an actual medium. Some articles even suggest that she may have plants in her audience, while others say she just uses typical psychic tactics, using high probability questioning during consultations and at group sessions, such as asking, does anyone have an older male relative that died due to heart problems? Jacob Roloff, who left the reality TV series, Little People Big World in 2016, claimed that the program needed reshoots, was heavily edited and featured characters. Others that have been on the program say that there's no written script, but producers do guide their stars. It's real, but it's staged, as Courtney Wright, who appeared on Say Yes to the Dress, explained. In Breaking Amish, many of the cast members allegedly haven't been Amish for years or were already married. The subjects were just paid actors. Given this, it's hard to know what exactly is happening behind the scenes, how real any of these shows are, and how exploited people may feel after the show takes place. All in all, it's the way in which these programs are presented that I still find upsetting. But again, of course, that's just my opinion. And with that being said, that is where I'm going to end today's episode of The Corporate Casket. I hope you learned something new here today. And if you did, make sure you're liking, following, and subscribing to stay up to date on all the latest episodes. Thank you so much for taking some of your time out of your day to tune in to today's episode, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.